And first, I'm sorry for my bad English. Eh? Crazy Boys, it's episode 220 of the Yellow World Pod. I'm your host, Stefan Butzko, for this post-transfer window episode. And with me, the uh, slightly under the weather, Lars Polman. Hello, Lars. How are you doing? As you just alluded to, Stefan, I'm a bit... I, I have fallen ill, but just like Pierre-Emerick <laughs> Aubameyang, I, I'm going to heroically pull through this sickness to bring you my two cents on what the hell has happened around Dortmund the last few days. You see, I can't even blame the guy because I had a stomach bug last night and was very much on a sick bay, but uh, now I miraculously recovered and uh, I no longer feel like I'm going to die any second. So that's good. Um, and also here, Konstantin Eckner. Hello, Konstantin. Hello, Stefan. Are you doing better than the rest of us? Um, not so much, no. Okay. All right. Um, so we got lots to talk about, but we do not have a lot of time. Um, I guess we'll start with the most interesting part. Uh, Alex Bode joins Borussia Dortmund uh, as a goalkeeper assistant coach. Yeah, but Stefan, his name is Alexander Bade, so you just messed up the whole bit. <laughs> Alexander Bade. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I I just read it uh, earlier when I was uh, standing in the supermarket at the uh, checkout and I had a quick glance on my phone and I just saw a name and that's all I remembered. So thanks for rescuing me. And uh, anywho, um, anything else that happened? All right, cool. So I guess we can talk about Freiburg now. Okay, um, last uh, first things first, um, are you happy with uh, Michi Batshuayi joining Borussia Dortmund on loan? I would have been happier with a more permanent solution, whether an outright uh, sale by Chelsea or a deal including an option to buy the player, which apparently isn't the case. I mean, reading the statements of both Dortmund and Chelsea, it's quite apparent that uh, he's just going to be here until the summer, at first anyway. I mean, the, the, the fact that there isn't a fixed sum, uh, or, or a clause in this deal, uh, doesn't mean that Batshuayi can't join Dortmund on a permanent deal in the summer. Maybe it's just, uh, a matter of negotiation in the summer. And seeing as, uh, Chelsea did sign Olivier Giroud, they already invested a lot of money in Alvaro Morata. I don't, I don't think it's uh, impossible for Batshuayi's situation at Chelsea to not get better at all by the time the summer comes around. So I wouldn't be surprised necessarily to see uh, that become a more long-term thing. But for right now, I believe, and that's what Dortmund ultimately had to think about given their standing in the Bundesliga table and the, the real threat of missing out on Champions League football this season or for next season rather. Uh, for now, I think Batshuayi is probably the the best kind of player they could have gotten. Uh, 
maybe Giroud would have been a better solution just for these next four months. Uh, but then again, Batshuayi is in better rhythm, has played more football so uh, in the last few weeks anyway. So at the end of the day, I'm happy that he's at Dortmund because I think he's a good player and I think he offers some things that Aubameyang doesn't do so well. But uh, it's for any striker coming in this late, in a transfer window, replacing Aubameyang's output will be borderline impossible. And I think if that's the standard uh, people will hold Batshuayi to, he's probably going to fail. But I do think he's a talented talented player and uh, can do some things that Dortmund desperately needs. So ultimately, at the end of the day, I do feel like this is a pretty good, solid move from Dortmund. Yeah, it's uh, really going to be tough for him to integrate, especially considering the next game is already on Friday against Cologne. Um, if we look at the uh, 90 or or the stats per 90 minutes, uh, you know, Aubameyang, for example, has a 19.42 attempted passes, a pass completion of 72.8% and 29.74 touches, a 1v1 success rate of 23.5%. And Bajuai is, is pretty, it's, he's pretty similar. He has uh, attempted passes per, per 90 minutes around 21.93. Uh, the pass completion is pretty much the same. Uh, yeah. On average, seven more touches per game. And, uh, I think most interestingly, his uh, success rate in the 1v1 is, uh, 57.1. So it's almost twice as good as Aubameyang. So that is already one hint of, uh, what he may be able to do better than Aubameyang. But, uh, Constantine, also your opinion on the 24 year old Belgium? Um, yeah, I totally agree what, uh, Lars already said. And, Mm. I mean, I, I also wanted uh, him uh, at least on a loan deal with the option to sign him permanently because, I mean, um, knowing Dortmund's luck, it could it could end up uh, being a situation that, that he has at least a decent to good um, season or, you know, um, 17, 18 matches and... Um, then is so hot as a as a player that um he will definitely go back to Chelsea and uh, join we join them basically um even even um though the fact that uh they signed Giroud was already 31 um i don't i don't think uh they are short on money to have another striker um there i mean they they also uh let go Diego Costa um, so, I mean, I could definitely see them having three strikers, and if Bajuai does pretty well at Dortmund, um, I, I guess he will go back to Chelsea, which leaves Dortmund, uh, right where they are, already were a few hours ago. Um, so it gives them a little bit more time, but, um, uh, I mean, we, sh- we shouldn't overestimate, um, the dynamic on the transfer market uh, and the center forward market basically uh, because there's not much going on and um, there are only a few available options and and Dortmund is right in the in that weird um, area between top tier and mid medium or mid tier club in uh, on an international level so um, I guess they have the money um, they could spend on a you know high class uh, center forward but there's not one um that fits the category and and would go to Dortmund right now so 
um, it's a little bit of a weird situation. I guess um, getting only Bajawai on a loan deal shows how um, basically how um, desperate to some extent Dortmund has been, um, especially with Aubameyang basically forcing his way out. Um, uh, I I actually think that uh, if you just sign someone for six months and not and uh, on a longer stint that uh, actually Chihu would have been the better option um, be- uh, since he's 31 so you don't get much out of him um, beyond next summer or maybe summer of t- 2019 um, probably but um, he fits Dortmund's style a bit better than Bacuai but Bacuai is of course younger so you have more potential to develop him, him into the player you need but then he's only there for a few months so um, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a weird one. Um, however, given that only Alexander Isak is the other option uh, up front, um, besides Andre Schirler, who was o- almost on his way out, um, I guess there was just a need to have an aura established a center forward with some experience under this belt. Um, and not only Alexander Isak as yeah, your first choice center forward, which is a, bit, a little bit, it, or just not enough. For uh, given the ambitions uh, Dortmund has right now, yeah, I'll uh, take the question and throw it over to Lars. Now, Dortmund knew they were going to have to replace Aubameyang a couple of years now, at least last summer, where you know Aubameyang already tried to leave, and uh, so far Dortmund managed to find a. Uh, replacement for Lukas Barrios and Lewandowski and eventually managed to find a replacement for Lewandowski and Aubameyang. Of course, Shiro Immobile and Adrian Ramos did not work out as they really planned. But um, do you think that Dortmund uh, failed to work on a contingency plan for exactly that scenario that happened now a bit sooner? Yeah, I guess that that argument can be made. <clears throat> Sorry, but... Uh... I mean, Konstantin already mentioned that the striker market in European football is completely out of whack. And I don't know uh, anyone signing another club in Dortmund's tier made over the last few months or maybe even the last year or so, which which made me go, oh man, that that's something Dortmund should have done. The, the closest thing possibly is Patrick Schick to uh, Roma from... Uh, Sampdoria in Serie A but you know uh, he was already on his way to Juventus had a, failed his medical there with heart condition if I remember correctly so it seems that that could have been an issue for Dortmund as well possibly so uh, if if you make that argument I would just ask those people whom Dortmund should have targeted because uh, as Konstantin alluded to it's quite difficult to point out strikers in that that a are good enough to make a difference for Dortmund and B that aren't good enough to not want to play for Dortmund. So uh I think getting Batshuai was something Dortmund always had on their minds. Uh remember that Dortmund were interested in signing him from Standard Liege uh I think three or four years ago, before he went to Marseille where he played really well. And then Chelsea kinda uh priced them out of uh out of the deal if you like uh, 18 months ago so certainly you can make that argument but uh, I don't really see one or two names where we can 
have something tangible to talk about and if it's if it's just hypotheticals uh dealing in those doesn't really make much sense yeah fair enough let's deal a little bit more on the emotional side of things uh constantine there has been quite the backlash toward obermeyer in the last game uh, when he played against freiburg he was booed every time he touched the ball so 19 times basically and uh <laughs> <laughs> you, had, you had to point out that he only had 19 touches, right? I mean, that's fairly normal for Aubameyang know, against know, such an opponent. But uh, yeah, you know, the, the stat is out there. Um, uh, he also missed that uh, hearing in, in the court on, on Monday and apparently was sick. And I feel like uh, that has left a very bitter taste in the mouth in the mouths of many fans. And uh, today he actually uh, wrote a statement or released a statement uh, via Instagram. He wrote, first of all, sorry for everything that happened last month. I really wanted to transfer last summer. It didn't work out then, but now it had to be. Maybe it wasn't the best way to go about it, but everyone knows Alba is crazy. Yes, I am a crazy boy. Ha 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 ha. I've made a mistake, but never in bad faith. I will never forget the four and a half years at Borussia Dortmund because you gave me the power to get to the level I'm on now. I thank the entire BVB family, the fans, the club, the staff, and of course, my teammates, your Ober 17. Constantine, if you look at all of this and, and also Aubameyang's message, um, from an emotional standpoint, what do you make of all this considering Pierre-Merrick Aubameyang is Dortmund's third best scorer in history and could have left a legend? I guess... Uh most or let's say 99.5 percent of the, uh, the players uh, across the board don't really care about uh, being a legend uh, because it, do it doesn't quote-unquote pace their builds um, and I mean that they booed him during the Freiburg match it's not the smartest move probably because uh, it can distract a little bit and I mean, you 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 saw it uh, at at Schalke when uh, first appearance by Goretzka um, after you know his the deal to Bayern the summer deal to Bayern was done, um, and they uh, you know pretty much showed hatred towards him, and he had a really underwhelming, um, untypical performance basically. Um, so I, I guess that's not what you want because it, at the end of the day it hurts. Um, your team however um, given um, the development that um, basically or, or let's say almost all the players uh, in professional football uh, don't really care about um, the club they are playing they just care about what they what they are getting paid and how many titles they, they can win and so on and so on you know like that that's what it's all about Um Given the, uh, that development, I mean, I guess the, uh, fans have every right to just, you know, don't care about the players either. Um, and that's, I mean, that's, that's fair game then. You know, um, I mean, Aubameyang wanted to to force his way out uh, during this winter transfer window, um, which is not the best move, uh, especially for uh, for the club, because, uh, you know, there is a limited amount of options or limited numbers of, of options you you have uh, just because normally, you know, in, in, during the winter more, uh, window, you don't really find that, uh, that many uh, players you could sign. I mean, you will never get or you almost never get a, a starting center forward, for instance. Um, 
maybe maybe starting center forward from from a from a really um, bad or a club that is in bad condition, or maybe, uh, maybe a second division club or so, but not like you don't get the um, starting center forward from from Sevilla or so. That's that's almost impossible. Um, which means that he, uh, the fact that he forced his way out, um, he he had to had to have known that that um, basically it left Dortmund in a in a dire situation. And um, so I mean, it's it's so they can boo him. I mean, that they have every right to to boo him. And I think fa- um, since players don't really care about clubs, the fans don't uh, don't have to care about players um, unless it's like. As I said, yeah, there's a point five or so percent of of players like Schmelz also, um, maybe Thomas Müller at Bayern, you know, uh, these kind of players. Of course, yeah, you could care about them, but that, that's just you have to you have to accept that, uh, especially someone like Aubameyang or even uh, I don't know Dembele or in, in, looking forward in the future, I don't know Chain Sancho also, that they aren't really attached to the club emotionally, um. And uh, so, uh, yeah, it, you have to accept that, but then you can, especially when it's when it's clear that they will leave, you can, you know, treat them just like any other player that that isn't on the team. Lars, your take on the whole situation? Yeah, I think it was inevitable once he deliberately skipped that team meeting. Uh, I mean, I can live with some other forms of lack of professionalism. You know, the shopping trip to Milan or uh, even that weird camera team thing. I think that's not something that hurts your team in any way. But when you don't show up for a meeting in which team spirit and your goals for the second half of the year and all that is discussed, then that's basically an admission that you don't really care about the team anymore. And I agree with Constantine that players don't have to necessarily care about the club Uh just because they have about 15 years to make as much money as possible or as they want and and do the things they would like to do in their careers and that they have every right to do that, in my opinion. So I was, for example, I would have never been angry with Aubameyang for leaving for China, even though it's something some people frown, up, uh, frown upon. So, but, <clears throat> sorry. Um, but uh, basically shitting on your teammates Uh, is something that can't be tolerated. So obviously it put Dortmund in a very difficult situation because you don't want to sell your star striker in the winter transfer window. Uh, even though... No, Michel Zog made it very, very clear that they had no intention to sell anyone. I mean, even Dembele wasn't really planned to be on the exit list. If I remember the interview he gave uh, in... What was it? Mabea? Sorry to botch in, but... Yeah, I continue. mean, uh, I was almost finished. So ultimately, Dortmund had to, I think, make this deal. Uh, they they got not great value for uh, Aubameyang, but decent enough, I would say. And I do believe that Aubameyang's Dortmund years will be remembered with fondness, you know, once the dust settles. So I don't think in, in two or three years, people will look back at these last few weeks of his time and rather at, at you know, 100, what was it, 41 goals across competitions and being, you know, a really bright spark uh, for the entire league, basically. And, and a city, uh, Dortmund, which, you know, kind of, kind of, it doesn't hurt the city, let's put it that way, to have 
uh, a bird of paradise in it uh, every once in a while. And I think uh, Aubameyang, as I said, will be remembered with fondness. But you know, for the for the time being, uh, and especially his utterly ridiculous statement today on on Instagram, I think there's there's some things uh, that happened between him and the club uh, that that must have led to this because I don't think this is the kind of guy he actually is. Yeah, I really wonder what uh, he meant with uh, now it had to be, you know. Uh, that's something to ponder on uh, for the future. Um, overall, it's 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 a bit sad that it all fell apart like that in the end and uh, more or less describes Percy Dortmund as a whole, I, I feel like, in, in, in general. Um, also, a player who left yesterday... From the way they were recording, Smak Batra uh, to Bitter Sevilla or Seville, whatever, however you want to pronounce it. Um, it's really hard to speculate what the reasons were, whether it's actually the attempt on his life or simply the fact that uh, he wants to have playing time in the World Cup year and didn't really see that going his way under Peter Stöger. Um, it's quite significant in his uh, farewell message that Mark Batra literally wrote, uh, thanks for well, uh, th thanks for trusting me at Peter Bosch and uh, Thomas Tuchel leaving out Stöger. And, and then he deleted that message and uh, basically said, thank you for the trust to the coach, to the coaches that played me or so something like that. I didn't really read it, but I'm paraphrasing, but never... The less it sort of gave away that Mark Bartra wasn't exactly happy under Peter Stuger and, and really fell down the pecking order, not least because, um, yeah, he, uh, Dortmund added Manuel Akanji. Um, on the one hand, I, I think Peter Stuger said that, uh, when, when talking about Bartra in a recent press conference that, uh, you know, he is really great in training, but then makes like critical errors. Um, Lars, isn't that something we can say about any Dortmund player at this point? Possibly, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, two players who haven't made a lot of mistakes, uh, are Ömer Topak and Sokratis, even though Sokratis wasn't great against uh, Hertha, Hertha, but you know, generally speaking, his problems are more in the he can't play football uh, department of the sport, which is a problem in and of itself, obviously. But I mean, Topak has done really well <clears throat> under Stöger. Akanji is the uh, by far the most expensive defender Dortmund have ever signed, so it's obvious that they rate him higher than Bartra. And at the end of the day, Bartra is already 27 years old. Uh, you don't usually get much of a much of an improvement from a player in that kind of age so the guy they had for these last 18 months is probably who Mark Batra is and that's that's a talented player who makes a lot of mistakes uh who whom a defensive minded coach probably doesn't trust too much so ultimately I can't uh, really fault Stöger for not playing him uh, especially with Topak and Sokrates working out relatively well in these last few games. So I can also not blame Bartra, obviously, because for one, he has every right to seek personal happiness after the terrible things that happened to him on April 11th. And also he's, uh, as I said, 27 years old and he wants to make the World Cup squad for Spain. So uh, Dortmund made a slight profit 
on a player who identified himself with the club in a way that's not usual for a new signing uh, that spends only one and a half years at Dortmund. So uh, it's unfortunate that it didn't really work out, but I do believe that all sides uh, in this deal can walk away with a head held up high and, and truly believing that they didn't do anything particularly wrong. Yeah, I think it's really sad for a lot of fans uh, again because Mark Badra was quick to embrace the Dortmund colors and uh, was a very po positive spirit. I certainly will miss his aura. Constantine, uh, um, I have to agree with Lars that I think overall if we measure Badra's performances, even though he was uh, Dortmund's best center back for a small stint before the attack you know around the time where he where Dortmund played Benfica in Champions League um overall I would say his uh, defensive skill set maybe wasn't enough to really help Dortmund in the long term what what is your view on that yeah I, I mean I basically agree I'm just that I, I but I think that um I mean given that he was probably best ball playing center back they they've had uh since Mats Hummels um and he was a pretty good replacement problem is just first he can't really catch a break I mean the attack here and other stuff that happened at Barcelona where he didn't really uh caught fire um so it's it's he's one of these um what if cases probably um and not only uh, as far as his Dortmund stint goes or but his entire career's uh, entire what if um be, he will he will never reach like a uh, top level i mean he was he was a pet project at barcelona and it didn't really work out then he came to dortmund a fresh start um had a couple of good months um then gets injured in uh, in something that Never happens. Well, basically, never happens. Um, like a freak, freakish thing, so to say. Um, and uh, not to undersell anything, but you know, it's just. I know it's. Uh, it's not like it's not like he got a broken leg on the field or something, you know, which is horrible. But <laughs> it's a, it's at least somewhat part of uh, the game. Um. So yeah, and and after that, and the, the last few, the past few months, um. And he was either injured or not really informed, wasn't there mentally. Um, so he goes back to Spain, which is probably the best option for him, or best decision for him. Um, just, I mean, I don't, I don't believe he will uh, set the world on fire in Spain uh, either. So it's just he's he's one of these what if cases. And we'll, one day Butter will uh, retire, and um, unfortunately, sadly, um, nobody will really care, and that's really sad because I'm a big fan of him, but. Um, I don't think he will turn turn the turn a corner here. It's, it's just not happening. Um, yeah, and and I mean, uh, signing Akanji uh, was it was of course a pretty good decision by by the uh, front office uh, by Dortmund's front office. Um, so I guess if they can get another talented center back in summer and maybe ca can get rid of um, Socrates, then uh, they are pretty set at center back and uh, with four. Center backs, and uh, if if the Jonathan Tarr rumors are true, uh, you would have um, Sagaduta, Akanji, and Toprak, so three physically intimidating, pretty intimidating center backs, and one that is a good ball player. So, um, and Akanji is also a good one, um, a decent ball player at least. Uh, so, I mean, that would be 
uh, probably best um, scenario you can get. All right. Yeah, I wish I personally wish Mark Butter all the best. Uh, really sad how it all panned out in the end, but uh, you know this is how life sometimes is. Um, yeah, I guess we can move on as Mark Batra did and uh, <laughs> look back. <laughs> oh God, at Friday's no Saturday's two two draw against Freiburg. Uh, it was dubbed a must-win game, yet Dortmund uh, only salvaged a point with the last gasp equalizer by Jeremy Toyon. Um, it was an early lead, but uh, then Dortmund grew abject. I don't even know how else to describe it and uh, didn't really find a way to break Freiburg down at all. No ideas, nothing really in, in the build-up play. Looked very uninspired. I don't see a lot of team chemistry in such a game. Then the fans come in and, and boo their team after too many back passes. And uh, then Nuri Schein has another brain fart. And Nils Petersen has scores an outrageous goal from, what was it, 40 meters or so that Birki couldn't keep out. And uh, yeah, then of course the Roman Birki post-match quotes. Um, Lars, it was... Overall, I guess, even though it, it it was a point in the end, I feel like this game felt a bit like a loss and overall reveals that, you know, Champions League qualification won't be so easy. So what what do you make of, of this game overall? I'm glad you ran us through all the things that didn't happen in this game, so I don't have to uh, count them up. Uh, Dortmund were incohesive stale. Just all around terrible, and I think pretty much everybody knew what kind of game was to be expected when they saw the lineup. Uh, I don't know what exactly Peter Stöger is thinking these days when he makes them, makes the starting 11s because he's getting them wrong basically 50% of his games, which is pretty hard to do actually, seeing as he's only been in, in charge for six games and three times it has been horrendously wrong. This time, <coughs> sorry, playing, uh, Shahin and Gonzalo Castro, who hadn't played a single second of football since November, I think, uh, ahead of Julian Weigel and Mario Götze. Uh, we've talked about Götze a number of times in the last few weeks. He's usually Dortmund's best player. Uh, and Weigel, while not necessarily being at his uh, absolute best, is definitely a better football player than Nuri Shahin and someone who who does more things well that need to be done well in order for Dortmund to do something going forward. So uh, it kind of felt like uh, a game that Dortmund were ready to throw from the first minute. And then the the way it happened actually was quite surprising because you, you would have thought that Dortmund, after a pretty good second half against Hertha and scoring a, an early goal against Freiburg, who are your absolute favorite opponents in the Westfalen Stadion that this game would kind of open the floodgates uh, and maybe right some wrongs from the first two matches of 2018, which Dortmund arguably should have won, uh, especially going by, you know, expected goals and whatever stats you like. Uh, but that didn't happen because for reasons entirely unbeknownst to me and pretty much everybody, everybody who watched the game, uh, Dortmund fell completely flat after scoring their goal and uh, it was ultimately a point thanks to Tolian hitting a lucky, uh, a lucky shot. But, you know, the Freiburg should 
arguably arguably have won the game and they would have in my opinion deserved winning the game despite not even playing well so that tells you all you need to know about Dortmund's utter ineptitude and one last thing because you mentioned uh, the Champions League qualification will be will not be so easy as many might have thought uh, right now I don't see how Dortmund make the Europa League next season because they're absolutely horrendous so and now they're without Aubameyang uh, have to reintegrate a number one striker uh, on short notice Uh, have a pretty tough schedule this season or in the second half of the season traveling to a lot of tough places so uh, I was ridiculed a bit uh, before the season because I said Dortmund would finish fifth uh, right now I think uh, it's yeah you were also ridiculed around match day seven yeah <laughs> and, and I did so myself too but you know right now I think Dortmund will be hard pressed to even make fifth so uh, I think This is, it almost feels like Dortmund are a bit of a powder keg and, and another defeat or two and, and it will, will, will all blow up. So I think th these are dangerous times for, uh, Borussia Dortmund football club. Yeah. After seeing this game, I wholeheartedly have to agree. Konstantin, why the F did Dortmund after eating an, an equalizer and then ultimately trailing why did they not manage to create a single chance against freiburg i mean yes freiburg did particularly well in in defending as they as they did but i personally would expect a little bit more of dortmund than they showed um i i guess uh Lars already um pointed out what went wrong um first of all or most importantly um having to um, center midfielders, um, namely Nori Shine and Gonzalo Castro on there, uh, against Freiburg, whom not surprisingly, uh, defended in a 5-2-3. And, uh, basically, I mean, of course, it was maybe somewhat surprisingly that they, that the, um, line of three up front that, uh, was, was sitting really deep, um, even like in the first few moments of uh, in Dortmund's build-up, um, still uh, it wasn't that um, surprising, I guess. Um, and uh, having um, Castro and Schein uh, basically roaming around in front of Peterson and Harbour, um, plus Socrates and uh, Toprak, you had four four on three for no reason. Um, next thing that went wrong is Shaheen, which of course dropped back, uh, w which he's always doing, um, into the, the left half space and then playing, uh, about 1000, um, short range passes, um, towards the left back, uh, Tolian, who just received pass after pass after pass after pass, uh, in unfavorable positions, um, because he couldn't do anything. He was just, um, pressured by, um, not by Stenzel, who was, the, who was the right back? Doesn't matter already. Um, but I mean, just, you know, for, for a fact that there wasn't what you, what you have to do. Um, and, uh, it was just, it was a logical decision to, um, sub off one of the center midfielders and bring on Götze, who's just far better in, uh, penetrating these spaces behind the center midfielders or in between center midfielders and, uh, in the center forward. 
um, which, you know, there was basically a dead zone uh, for most of, or for, for the first half. And even after that, it, it's just hard to turn things around uh, within a few minutes, even when you bring on uh, a better playmaker. I mean, you go into the match with, with your two limited, most limited playmakers, um, supposed playmakers, let's let's put it that way. Um, and yeah, that that's just not working. Um, I mean, yeah, sure. Against Hertha, it wasn't pretty either. Um, and Hertha was not as consequent in defending. Um, so uh, Freiburg was much more uh, willing to um, go all the way, um, meaning that they really uh, made, the f- made the field pretty, pretty narrow um, and uh, left no space. But, I mean, there wasn't even an attempt um, to open up uh, Freiburg's uh, formation uh, in the first half, and even after that, then then you receive, uh, then then you concede um, the the, the second Freiburg goal, um, thanks to uh, Shahin not um, looking over his shoulder, basically um, not you know figuring out what what is uh, happening around him. Um, Sure, I mean, Berkey uh, was unlucky situation for him, I guess. Um, and and of course, there was some some luck involved uh, on on Peterson's part. Uh, I, I'm I'm very certain he won't hit that that one uh, a lot in training. Um, not to speak of of matches. Um, so, but overall, um, yeah, I mean, just looking at what uh, Stöger offered um, tactically and and as far as personal goes, um, it's just not. What you should do against Freiburg um, or any other team that's that's somewhat um, similar to what Freiburg does defensively, uh, especially at at Dortmund. Um, yeah. So overall, um, it's just basically logical that that uh, uh, a performance like that turns out to be what uh, Dortmund can do right now when when they aren't when when they don't come up with ideas. Um, and against Freiburg, they didn't really. Yeah, the, the the interesting part really is that um, first of all, there was once again the space of the size of Australia that you maligned already under Klopp and Tuchel. I, I'm pretty sure of basically that be, between the defense and and one defensive midfielder in this case Shine and like the attacking players, there was a massive gap. There was basically no connection to get the ball from defense to midfield to attack. So this was, uh, you know, the first thing that really made it hard for Dortmund to progress the ball with any sort of efficiency just because when they lumped it forward, you know, it was really tough for whoever received the ball to control it because, you know, the ball had to travel a long time and, and usually all the attacks went through the wings and that's a little bit unnerving to see that Dortmund had so little combinations in the half spaces between the lines that they really did not find the spaces whatsoever and I actually think that's also down to automatism that uh, the sort of like Jaden Sancho or or Christian Pulisic that you know there needs to be a little bit more understanding who is to run when and Aubameyang exactly didn't help with with his sort of runs and yeah Kagawa often made runs but then they weren't picked up so overall just very very frustrating and uh you know to me that's just not enough and sometimes i wonder do they just not have a plan do they not want it enough <laughs> i know it's it's maybe maybe a bit too easy to go there but um you know i i still think that players should know a little bit better what to do and have some great combinations you know up their sleeves 
and and some some plays at least to unlock their defense. The defense. Uh, what we saw, I think, in the seventeenth minute, there was one situation where Pulisic actually dropped deep, and then I think uh, Socrates or whoever it was sent the ball in long to Pischek, who then basically had all the the space up up front and could have sent in a cross or cut back to Pulisic or something. And uh, yeah, that that is something I would like to see more often or in, in general any sort of ideas like that and otherwise it was really down to individual moments and uh, you know a very dependent performance on a 17 year old which is on the one hand pretty cool uh, for Jaden Sancho on the other hand not so great for Dortmund to be reliant on that because they really shouldn't be and uh, you know I'm really fed up with all these half field crosses that are uninspired and easily dealt with by the uh Freiburg defense in this case and uh, yeah Andrea Molenko in the end got lucky because Soyuncu I think it was had one bad clearance and uh, Toyan pounced with two nutmegs so that really describes how much luck Dortmund had um, but you know it's it's really sad that Dortmund also can't really bring on much from the bench I mean yes Yamolenko was brought on but what did he really do uh, you know Götze had to come on to correct one poor starting 11 choice and uh, Alexander Isak then yeah in the last what was it 10 minutes 18 minutes something like that yeah couldn't really impose himself either so that wasn't really good Yamolenko of course now out for several weeks due to a foot injury I don't know how big of a loss it is uh, going by his recent form not so much but uh, it has to be said that uh, Dortmund aren't exactly uh they don't really have much depth now with Maximilian and Philipp also out and Marco Reus still not coming back anytime soon. So that's obviously a problem on the depth chart. Um, last, I guess we have to talk about uh, Roman Bürki's remarks after the game. I mean, uh, had he backpedaled as quickly as he did after the interview on Instagram, he probably would have caught Niels Petersen's ball. But uh, nevertheless, uh, he basically said that, uh, you know, fans from the main stands uh, boo very quickly and he doesn't feel any support from those stands and it would be best for those fans to stay at home. Uh, Michael Sorg countered that very harshly in the mix on later. What are your thoughts on, on such a statement? I mean, <clears throat> uh, he's entitled to have that opinion, but uh, in his position, I would have probably not uh, opened up that uh, Pandora's box just because uh, you just played one of the worst home games in recent memory dropping points in a pretty important game against the team you always win against and uh, even though it was 100% Nuri Shahin's fault uh, some of the blame surely will still go to Roman Bürki for the second goal so it just wasn't smart on, on his part to talk about that uh, right after the game because it just feels like he's making excuses for a bad performance. Uh, I also think not only is he entitled to not like being booed, uh, I think fans are pretty much entitled to do whatever they want. They paid for the tickets. And as long as they remain fair in the sense that it's not, you know, uh, racist or whatever, they can jeer and boo and, and scream whatever they want, basically. Then, uh, football players are paid a lot of money to deal with distractions in part at least and that's something Dortmund didn't do well in this game obviously it would help if the entire 
80,000 or let's say 77,000 against Freiburg uh, Dortmund fans in the stadium would push them forward and, and be super supportive and always positive. But that's just not realistic when you play that kind of football game and when you play this kind of season Dortmund are putting together. So I can understand it, but it just wasn't smart. And I can I can see why Michael Zorc quickly tried to put out that fire uh, because he has to... Uh, be mindful of the fans not turning completely on the team uh, because ultimately as we talked about in an earlier segment of this show the the players they might not have to care about the club too much but the club's decision makers certainly do so uh, next time I'm pretty sure Roman Birki will swallow whatever bad feelings he has about the fans and, and maybe make it a point of discussion during the week when when everything is a bit more settled down. Yeah, it was really interesting to see, you know, after I asked Sok the question about Berkey's remarks, how he really needed to, needed a second or two to gather himself because you could really see his nostrils flaring up, flaring up and, and everything. He was really mad as hell at, at, at this point. And uh, he, he also just said, you know, if, if the players watch the game in in its entirety, they gotta watch out that they don't boo themselves <laughs> and you know one little funny side note though is uh, you know Zorc said as a player I had worse <laughs> and uh, Oliver Miller from Die Welt actually said from the background like uh, rightfully <laughs> and that sort of broke the ice and, and cracked Zorc and everyone up so you know with all the doom and gloom in, in this mix zone interview there was at least one bright moment um yeah, I don't know. I I think everyone everything is said so far. Unless you, Constantine, want to say anything about that, too. Nope. All right. So then you have the pleasure now, and uh, explaining me why Eurosport thought uh, this would be the game to show on free TV in Germany, as I expect a very horrible game on Friday night in Cologne. Um, but you know it's a comeback of Peter Sugar, yada yada, whatnot. But um, yeah, please enlighten me, Constantine, how you imagine that Dortmund get away from this game with three points against the uh, dead last in the Bundesliga, or not so dead last anymore. Um, we, uh, yeah, we wiped last. Now, uh, uh, why why did Irish uh, put up to uh, to show that one? Uh, I guess Dortmund will pop a rating uh, anyway, so. Um, Better to show Dortmund uh, no matter what. Um, or Dortmund and Bayern, for that matter. Um, uh, that will be... I mean, we have com a little bit complained about the Freiburg match. That one uh, at Cologne could be um, the uh, um, one-sided match to end all one-sided matches. Uh, because what Cologne has done on the Rutenberg um in the past few matches is that they are um how would I put it? They are recreating how to park a bus in the Bundesliga. So mm. Darmstadt? Are we inventing, I wanted to say. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, they are recreating what Darmstadt did basically. Um I mean there was one match, I just don't remember who, who the opponent was. Um I think Wolfsburg or so. Um where they had uh, Tlunter and Clemens uh, up front. Tlunter's a right back. Uh, Clemens is a left winger or so. Um, th those were the two strikers in the 4-4-2. Um, and, and yeah, that's what Cologne does uh, these days. Uh, they are playing in a 4-4-2, 0-0-0. Um, 
because there's nothing going on uh, up front and um, there's nothing going on in, in what you would call the attacking midfield. Um, yeah, so they were, they were just trying to, to sit as deep as they can um, and then hit the counter. And hit a few counters, uh, score the goal, kick uh, Dortmund in the nuts, and uh, move on with their life. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, I, ca- I guess it could work out. I don't know. Um, I-, I just mentioned the, the Wolfsburg match. There was, um, I just looked up, there was um, uh, the, last, the last one before the winter break, and, and uh, they won that one, 1-0. But they, they did nothing but just waiting for the one counter and then, then the one counter happened to, um, I think, Clemens, Jojic, and then again Clemens. Um, so I guess, especially for a team like Dortmund, um, that is pretty much uh, struggling with build-up, um, which a lot of uh, teams do um, in the Bundesliga, but uh, Dortmund particularly... Um, um, as the uh, favorite against Underdog Cologne, um, that will be a one-sided thing, but uh, that doesn't mean that uh, Dortmund ultimately will win the thing. Um, I guess uh, it could be, it could turn out to be pretty, pretty ugly, and it could turn out to be pretty disappointing for Dortmund. Um, just, just because uh, we, we've seen what they, what they can do uh, when they have, when they have the ball and dom- uh, dominate the ball, uh, ball possession stats. Um, that doesn't mean anything right now, and, and Cologne is is just out there taking your soul and uh, making your life miserable. Yeah, Cologne basically were dead last in the Bundesliga, and they they still sort of are. But at least you know after performing quite well in in recent games, they are uh, they they have hope now, which changes everything for them because. You know, with hope, uh, you, you, you have the belief that somehow you can turn it around. They are now just three points of HSV, uh, 17th, and just four points of Vela Bremen, who I still rate quite well, but uh, you, you, you never know. So at least four points of a relegation spot, and we know for the Bundesliga clubs that's a very good bet in uh, staying in the league. Um, and, you know, <laughs> Lars, I know you're already sick, but... Uh, <laughs> How does it make you feel knowing that uh, Cologne has outperformed Dortmund since Peter Sugar took over Dortmund? And to add to that question, um, do you think that Peter Sugar will be in trouble if this game isn't won again? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think Cologne's season is a bit weird. You usually get that effect after a surprise season they had last year. Uh, playing in Europe really takes a toll on a team that isn't used to it. They had an, a, a crazy amount of injuries that really kind of took the legs uh, away from the team and, and basically decided Stöger's fate uh, at that club because nobody in Cologne get, went into the season and expected uh, to need a new head coach at the end of the campaign. Uh, Stöger, uh, the only guy that... that uh, has had a similar standing at his club in the recent years in Germany. I would say is Jürgen Klopp at Dortmund because people absolutely loved Stöger at Cologne and what he accomplished there over the years. Uh, they, if they haven't done already, they, they will build him a statue one day, uh, basically. So uh, Cologne are 18th, but you know their squad is better than a team that should be 18th, even though this year there's no true bottom dweller in the league with Darmstadt and Ingolstadt going down the year before and all that. Uh, so it, it's not as easy to travel to the 18th team 
uh, in the league on match day 21 as it has been perhaps in the past. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like Dortmund's trip to Darmstadt yeah, last season was so much better. No, it wasn't, but you know, you you get the, the general point I'm trying to make. And as for Stöger's <clears throat> sorry, position at Dortmund, obviously it's going to be a 10 years one if they uh, go four matches in 2018 without a win. Uh, we've already mentioned their Champions League hopes hanging on by a threat, basically, even though none of the other Bundesliga teams are really running away with it by any stretch of the imagination. So fourth place is still available if Dortmund suddenly turn it around. But uh, Yeah, the threat is called Red Bull Leipzig right now, or Raba Leipzig, who have just won one out of their last seven. Yeah, I mean, basically, it's it's what we Germans call a snail race. Uh, so it, it would, I wouldn't put it past Dortmund to suddenly get it together, string a couple of wins together, and then things will look different. But as of right now, uh, I can't see that. So obviously Stöger's position might get a bit interesting. Uh, I would add one point that Hans-Joachim Watzke absolutely loves Hannes Wolf, who was just fired uh, relatively unceremoniously from Stuttgart, who replaced him with Typhoon Korkut, so you know that uh, they don't have a plan either, uh, or not a good one anyway. And I could definitely see Dortmund ex at least exploring the idea of bringing one of their own, if you like, uh, into the fold. If not on a caretaker basis, then maybe as the long-term manager in the summer uh because we know that Dortmund need to fix some internal problems and in doing that with someone who already knows the club, knows a lot of the players too, uh, might might be an advantageous situation for them. So uh, that's just uh, one thing to maybe keep an eye on if results don't get better in the next few weeks. But I do believe uh, Dortmund are planning to keep Stöger on until the summer and, and more likely than not, that's going to be the case. Yeah, but uh, I, I guess for Dortmund, at least it's a good fallback option to have Hannes Wolf around somewhere. I don't know if Wolf will start a new job. You never know how the whole uh, Nagelsmann thing will work out in the summer and maybe uh, they will appoint Wolf then. I don't know. It's highly speculative at this point, but uh, as you pointed out, Watzke really rates Wolf quite highly. So um, you never know. Would, would be interesting, but uh, yeah. I guess Dortmund would then defend 10 meters higher again, but the question is, will they really do better with any coach or any any sort of system or input? Because I, I feel like there are, the, the, the issues are so, so underlying that, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like it hardly even matters about tactics anymore at this point. If we look at the 1-1 that Dortmund conceded, it's just absolutely shambolic. I mean, Jaden Sancho forgot to track his runner, then Nuri Shine took over and only had a half-hearted run. <laughs> and then no, that's actually him sprinting, Stefan. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah. Whatever you want, you want to call it. I think Markus Bach was it who tweeted out that uh, you know his fastest run was twenty-five kilometers per hour, which is really really sad because I know I can do faster myself. And uh, yeah. Then, of course, Socrates and Toprak were called ball-watching and did not have an eye for Peterson, although they were already in the right spot. And, you know, those are the kind of goals Dortmund have conceded, like, the entire 
year basically and i don't know how many hours of watching video replays and and i don't know i don't even know what what impulses a coach can give in such a situation anymore at this point of the season because i don't i don't think there's a quick fix out there that's just my opinion any anyway um constantine anything left to say about cologne or uh what dortmund maybe should do to beat that what cologne pose the problem is that um at this point uh just having watched a recent dortmund performances um there's not much uh, not much advice you can give um because um they it's it's not like dortmund is at this high level in terms of build up and you know you you just need a, a twist here and there and uh then it's it's going to work against cologne there uh, underlying issues um technically so um it's it's much much more difficult um and um Dortmund fans out there should just hope that maybe there's, there's an early early goal for Dortmund, uh, maybe a set piece or whatever, uh, or maybe uh, Cologne commits a few individual mistakes and um, you can go from there and and score um, and and have an advantage and then you can you know um, see what Cologne can do uh, when they are behind, um, but uh, it it will be. Uh, it will be a tough one. Um, it will be a tough one if if there isn't an early goal. Uh, maybe they will win um, with a you know one nil, two one or something. But uh, it it will be tough. And I mean, would 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 it be surprising uh, if Dortmund just threw at Cologne or maybe even uh, suffer another defeat? Um, no, not really. <laughs> at this point, so um, we will see. Uh, yeah. All right. Um, fair enough. Lars, do you have any suggestions for Mr. Stöger to get the lineup right this time? And do you think that uh, Batshuayi and Akanji will both make their debut this time? Uh, I think it's going to be a tough ask for Batshuayi to make the squad on two training appearances, but maybe they are desperate enough to just put him on the bench and, and let his athleticism shine through for 20 minutes or so against tiring opposition. Uh, Akanji, I don't really see uh, them making, <clears throat> sorry, uh, you know, a change in central defense. Uh, it could be obviously that something happens during the game or they want to move to a, a back three or whatever. And then I guess we would see him. But uh, as for the starting 11, you know, just don't outthink yourself. Put the best 11 players you have at your disposal right now on the pitch and that in in regard to uh, the Freiburg draw means uh, re-establishing Weigel, Götze in the starting 11 and I would say uh, Alexander Isaac has done the best job leading the line in Aubameyang's absence uh, earlier this year so he should get the nod ahead of André Schöle. Yeah, I can confirm that assessment. I... I'm 100% Dakar. Um, I mean, at least Dortmund could take encouragement from the fact that they were really, really unlucky to not score against Wolfsburg and I guess the last half hour against Hertha Berlin. I mean, clutching at straws here, but uh, it's not like they completely unlearned football in 2018. I mean, there were bright moments in their game. The only question is if they 
can replicate that in a really difficult tie away to Cologne. Anyway, I guess we can knock it on the head now. Um, Constantine, your prediction for the Cologne match? Um, a goal is two. Okay, Lars? Um, I was going for a goal is draw too, but uh, then I took a look nah. uh, at... Cologne's recent form, they've won 10 points from four games, so in, in bad games of football, uh, if one goal happens, I go with the team that has a bit more momentum, so I'm going with a 1-0 home win for Cologne. Alright, I guess I uh, go with the outsider pick here <laughs> and say 1-0 one, one win for Dortmund. Uh, oh, actually. I, I know, I know. Um, anywho, thanks again to everyone out there listening to our humble podcast and Lars where can people find you on Twitter they can follow me and my uh, beef with Gary Lineker for some reason today uh, <laughs> at Lars Paulman very cool very cool Constantin Egner did you already did you also have beef with Gary Lineker um no um I, I usually use toilet paper um I don't know. They can find me on Twitter as well. Uh, maybe I will retweet some insults I received from Arsenal and other English fans. Um, other than that, <laughs> I... Uh, why, why are you getting abused? What What are you doing to get I, abused? I'm telling the no, truth. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't what, know. What, what truth? I want to hear details now. Um, I just said that the Aubameyang tra uh, transfer was a little bit unnecessary um, f from an Arsenal point of view, but But it's Arsenal, so whatever. Um, <laughs> and and I I just find it rather uh, funny uh, when you read how how heated people can can get about football. Um, so uh, yeah, they can find me on Twitter, uh, cc underscore -E ecknr. Um, and yeah, that's about it. And I I will just start. I'm about to retweet all the Gary Lineker uh, things that he uh, shot towards. Um. Last one, last poor man. Our our very uh, own Gary Lindner, our correspondent. <laughs> okay, you can find me at Stefan Butzko. I'm afraid no Gary Lindner interaction on that oh. Twitter feed. You can find my written work at ESPNFC. And uh, if you want to get in touch with the all of us, please do that on Facebook or Twitter. Yellow Warpod is the respective handle. And for our written stuff, please check out yellowworldpod.com where you can also find our feeds to subscribe to the podcast, which is iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud, of course. And if you want to support us financially, please do that on patreon.com slash the yellow wall. One or two bucks would come in handy. And otherwise, everyone, a good week. I hope everyone is glad that the transfer window is finally shut and uh, there's a little bit of less drama going about. And with that, until next week, goodbye.